Welcome to the Army Experimentation Podcast, where we explore the modernization of the British Army through experimentation and trials. This monthly podcast, presented by me, Major Charlie King, will inform, discuss and debate the exciting and often difficult work of the Experimentation and Trials Group, and will follow the progress of the group through their experimentation timetable. You can engage with this podcast by using hashtag ETGpod via normal social media channels. Welcome. My name is Major Charlie King, and you join us in the office of Commander ETG, the commander of the Experimentation and Trials Group. Thank you for having us. Charlie, great to be here in my own office, in my <laughs> head, but, uh, but lovely to be with you. I'm looking forward to this. So this is our first uh, attempt to at the Experimentation Podcast, and we are going to take on the first episode here um, and, and get a bit of an introduction, firstly, to Commander ETG in his role um, here in Warminster. Then we're going to look at uh, a bit of what, what the ETG does, um, and and then we're going to look at the direction of travel. You know, why why are we doing the things we're doing? What what's up next? And um, and hopefully we can we can get as many people uh, involved in what we're doing. So uh, without further ado, Colonel Toby Till, Commander ETG, how did you come to be the Commander ETG? What's uh, What's your what's your background that's uh, led you to this point? Uh, so, I think I've had a, a reasonable involvement in force development over the years uh, in all sorts of angles. Uh, I have um, uh, I've always had a keen interest in future capability, going back to being a young platoon commander in the Coldstream Guards, uh, and then particularly you know force development um, when I was in 16 Brigade with the Pathfinders in particular, and I was very lucky on the back of that job to be in a, in a in an acquisition job in the army during the time of the sort of peak of Iraq and Afghanistan, working in the MOD, but serving, uh, you know, a, a specialist community in defense uh, with the height of urgent operational requirements and the ability to deliver quicker um, to um, to those users, which was hugely rewarding. So I've always had an interest in the sort of capability and acquisition area. Uh, and I did a bit more of that when I was in a three div headquarters uh, as the sort of SO1 plans and sort of force development. Then in a, on a concept side, when I was in the um, DCDC, uh, which was the Doctrine uh, Concepts and Development Centre uh, in Trivenham, got to think about future ways of fighting, uh, which is, again, really useful. And then finally, I think it was actually the people side of it, which I think is really uh, important is, you know, because people are absolutely part of the capability. I did 18 months in the personnel directorate, where I think where, where we met, Charlie, uh, so back in uh, back in the day. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you how do you optimize people uh, for the future fight, uh, whatever that might be? So that that's my kind of journey in this sort of future thinking um, uh, role. And, uh, you know, really lucky to get this job, which I think is, um, as an OF5 role, it's got to be one of the most exciting ones out there. So you started here um, about a year and a half ago, um, and uh, you took on the role. Um, you know, really, the the experimentation and trials group was only just being established um, at, at that point, and you took it from its sort of uh, concept and its inception um, through to definitely, definitely nearing FOC. Um, perhaps you could just give a quick intro um, about the experimentation and trials group. Uh, what it's made up of, you know, where where we're, where we're based, and um, and really what we do. Yeah. 
So uh, it was a future soldier announcement uh, that there was going to be an experimentation trials group. Uh, it was a small project team initially, headed up by now Brigadier John Wakeling, who did a fantastic job with a with a group of people from across the Land Warfare Centre to sort of pull this together. Uh, but I was lucky to take this on after they had already uh, worked through many of the uh, many many of the issues. Everyone had done all the hard work. A lot of the hard, a lot of the initial hard work had been done, which is a great uh, thing to if I could ask others to to try and repeat that. Uh, that certainly uh, they did a great job. But so when when I took over uh, the trials and development units, of which there were um, five and and a sixth. Um, just for, to, for everybody listening, the Infantry Trials and Development Unit, Armoured, Royal Engineer, Royal Artillery and Combat Service Support. And then the sixth is the Communications and Information Systems, TDU. Now, they don't sit directly under our, our command because they have multiple sort of outputs, but we have a great relationship with them. So we we had them already, and that was sort of working well. Uh, and then we had 2nd Battalion, the Royal Yorkshire Regiment, who'd been based in Cyprus and had been in the Army's experimentation, sort of light experimentation battalion. They arrived back to the UK, posted up in Chester for now, which is not that close to Warminster, uh, but they're coming south next year. So at sort of what was called full operation capability minus, um, they were up in Chester and we had a small headquarters uh, that formed up to oversee those units uh, and and everything they did. A great um, group to be in command of, um, and we've uh, we've got a good split. So you do a bit of travelling as well um, around all the different uh, all the different TDUs. Yes, I mean they're spread across the south of England. Um, you know, Bobbington with ATDU, Aldershot uh, uh, for the CSS. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And they've all got their own little specialised areas. So. As an example, the Combat Service Support TDU, which is in that sort of Rushmore area of Aldershot, has got a world-class test track for robotic vehicles, um, as one example. And and the other locations have all got their own little niche things. And I think the the important thing of why they sit where they sit is um, nearly all of them are are located in the where the training engine is uh, that will then take on ideas around the new capability and get them trained into the army as quickly as possible. So the best example there is probably the infantry trials and development unit sits in Warminster right next door to the um, combined arms maneuver school, uh, formerly known as the support weapons school. So small UAS is example. Uh, A lot of that funded uh, through uh, futures, but it came into ITDU. They work out the TTPs, use two York soldiers and then, we can rapidly get those new lessons into the combined arms maneuver school so they can start teaching that on, you know, uh recce, recce commanders course or the platoon commanders battle course, etc. And that and that does work well. So I think we've got uh we've got an understanding of what you know what we've got at our disposal, but um I think uh it'll be really useful for our listeners to understand, you know, what we've been told to do because, you know, any hopefully our listeners will um, get a general gist that we do trials and experimentation. But um, certainly when I joined the job, someone mentioned uh, EW and then they mentioned um, directed energy weapons and then lasers, um, which I uh, I suddenly started hiding under my desk, uh, slightly outside of my uh, my knowledge at that point, having just come from a PERS job. Mm-hmm. Um, although infantry, um, I could see the utility in certain areas. But can you just, uh, I suppose, describe what we've been tasked to do and what we've been been up to, I suppose. Yeah. So the breadth of what we deal with on a daily basis is is everything from a, a small UAS 
to the Archer interim mobile fast platform to Ajax uh, to you know future machine guns and 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 all points in between. So uh, it's pr- it's a pretty broad um, range of capabilities that we are uh, either trialing as part of the uh, Army's equipment program, and in particular focus on CGS's four plus one which was, you know, fires, air defense, EWSI and UAS and counter UAS and the plus one being stockpiles uh, and logistic lift, uh, a key part of that as well. So that, that that's a snapshot, but it, it's it's much broader. And, and we've had people in the, uh, the you know, subject matter experts in the trials and development units. And I'll give you a snapshot in the Royal Engineer Trials and Development Unit. They have trialed everything from a new chainsaw, which they trained in a hot climate in Belize, uh, through to an underwater uh, diving recall system, which they did in Cyprus. So every day is different. You never know what trials are going to come in. And, you know, we're, we're just trying to deliver across, a, you know, all tactical functions um, for the army. I would say there are certain areas we do less of because that's little niche areas which are done by others. Uh, in particular, I would say information manoeuvre is done solely by 77 Brigade. Uh, medical trials and experimentation uh, is done elsewhere in defence, largely in Stratcom. Uh, and CBRN uh, or counter-CBRN uh, is done within the defence uh, CBRN centre. Yeah. But largely everything else uh, all comes through uh, through us. Yeah, interesting stuff. And some of the equipment that we've trialled is now coming into service. So um, the new uh, rifle for the Rangers um, and also the, uh, the commandos as well. Um, amongst other things. So it's, it's quite good to see those that progression um, through from being um, in the trial stage all the way through. I think we're going to see some new uh, some new uniform coming through, um, PCS 23, in the, in the, in yeah. the coming months. Yeah. And, and, and importantly, sort of in terms of what we do, I've, I've covered the sort of trials element there on delivering the equipment program for the Army, which is all about making the Army better and quicker if we can but also there's the experimentation bit which is more about the kind of next bound um you know how do we want the army to develop what concepts can we test uh what new ways of fighting what new structures that is equally uh super important as well yeah so i mean whilst we're on that um you know the the integrated review directed us to create an experimentation battalion which has been formed around the second battalion the royal yorkshire regiment and we are getting close to FOC with them, and I think that'll be uh, uh, later next year that they'll they'll finally be down here in Battlesbury. We could discuss at length, you know, what um, you know how an experimentation battalion should be used, and 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 things like that. But uh, what what's the intent? You know, what would yeah. you see them being used at? And, and you know, it, for for me, it, it looks like a great place to be. Um, you get to you get to play with new bits of kit if you're a, if you're a rifleman that's that sounds like a, a great place to be and if you're a junior leader then um you know you you'll be uh using some of the latest technology yeah um, that sounds pretty good so it's worth it's worth backtracking slightly because there's a little uh, swing the lantern moment here and i wouldn't <laughs> recommend this to any listeners but um during my time in uh in dc dc in shrivenham you know i was working a lot with um with the uh, folk and army headquarters fellow fellow colonels at the time who were looking at you know conceptual force land 35 uh, and other sort of future ideas for the army and i and i said what you really need is an army experimentation force um 
And uh, so I, you know, did a slide and I suggested it was a force about 1,400. And of course, it wouldn't just have a light infantry battalion. It would have a hybrid maneuver battalion with armor and mechanized infantry, bit of light. You would have fires, you would have um, mobility, counter mobility, logistics, electronic warfare, military working dogs, the whole, the whole shebang. Uh, and that was a force of about 1,400. So anyway, I, I was a little bit cheeky one day and I did uh, send that slide direct to CGS uh, via WhatsApp. Uh, don't ask me how I got his mobile number. <laughs> uh, and I said, uh, I said, CGS, I think this is what you need in order to enable you to modernize the army quicker. You need an experimentation force in the same way that we did in the sort of 1927-29 uh, period. Um but I think that was a little bit too much for the market to bear. Uh, we haven't got a force of 1,400. Not quite. Uh, not quite. Uh, but at least we do. And I think this is different to many other armies around the world. We have a dedicated experimentation battalion, slightly smaller. But that provides the uh, the sort of socket and the, the, the mindset of people who are used to experimenting, which we can then plug in various other parts of, uh, of the army on a, on a needs basis. We do have a fires battery. We have had great support from the Royal Engineers on LiveX. Uh, we'll come on to that uh, in a moment shortly. But we do rely on the goodwill of our friends in the, um, in the, uh, in the lock to, um, to provide us additional capability on a on a needs basis but i but i fully you know where the army is very busy um right now but we can never be too busy to modernize i think that's really important yeah so it's all your idea i think is what you're saying no I, I, no i don't no no because actually <laughs> Full there, credit. There, there was uh no I don't think that would definitely be wrong because they um when I arrived in that army headquarters that uh that i there were a, there were a few others with that with that idea as well so it was great to see that it was um, the idea was already there, but it was it was good to see it mature over time uh, and and actually come to being something. Which in many times in the army there are ideas which don't come to be anything. So in this okay. particular case, that was rewarding uh, for myself and others to see it become a thing. Just over a year, you know, down from um, from from when when we turned up here, just over a year ago. Do you want to take us through what the ETG's achieved in, in terms of um, the activities it's taken part in, and we've got a we've got a list here. Um, yeah. But you know, but you know, I'll let you go through them. But um, I suppose start us off with Project Convergence twenty two. I think. Yeah. Well, relevant. if I can, I mentioned some of those trials first of all. So there there have been tens, almost nearing a hundred trials of various different. Um, size and scope, you know, Ajax trials continually ongoing and, and, you know, good news on that front down to, you know, the range of weapon you mentioned, Charlie, earlier. So uh, for the Army Special Operations Brigade and, and a whole host of others in between. So those have been going on routine, you know, routinely, you know, and as we know, every week there's a, a demand for more trials that come in. Uh, but it's actually the experimentation bit and I'll cover those sort of uh, activities. So whilst whilst the, the ETG was forming up, uh, the Futures part of the Army, Directorate of Army Futures, uh, had developed something called the Land Operating Concept uh, under Project Wavell. And that was an idea about how we're going to fight in the future. So as, as, as we formed up, that was already quite a mature document. Uh, and we were able to take some of those initial ideas and go, right, this isn't already completely rubber stamped. Uh, in defense yet but we can start to get after some of those things early so we had project convergence 22 
where we sent a really small element, a, a company headquarters with a robotics platoon underneath. Concurrent to that, we were running a war game uh, on the flanks of Exercise Cerberus in uh, in Germany. Uh, and then we, we took those ideas, can combine them with some uh, excellent research done by my friend Stuart Lyle in um, in DSTL to go right how how do you how do you need to fight in the future particularly if you're trying to um, fight from an urban sanctuary uh, and what force structures do you need to do that you know from the lowest level possible from sort of fire team upwards so we started to, to experiment with those um, you know the capabilities you want the structures you need uh, to enable decision making to be done quicker to be more lethal uh, and we started to package those together. And then it was really in early 23 on Exercise Wessex Storm 123, where we were able to put a force out in the field, a company group of about 130, uh, which then fought uh, a whole range of missions on Salisbury Plain as part of the, um, uh, or under the guidance of the collective training group and fully tested uh, to the max. Uh, and, you know, one example on that, they defeated... Uh, or they achieved the mission they were meant to achieve, which was meant to last two to three hours in uh, in 17 minutes. Uh, and that was because of the robotic systems they had, the dismounted situation awareness, the tool they had, enhanced uh, mobility uh, as well. And importantly, they'd had the time to train and be competent on those capabilities beforehand. So all that sort of packaged together and uh, enabled a light force to be much more lethal. And I think just to um, cut in there a little bit, Colonel, is... Stuart Lyle's concept was, is called the Phalanx Platoon. And all of our events that we've done in the UTG have got um, you know, exploitation work. Um, we've, there's plenty of paraphernalia out there that uh, if you want to read up a little bit more about the Phalanx Platoon, um, then please do engage with us and, uh, and come and well, see what we've been doing. There's a great podcast, the uh, the US Modern War Institute. He gets interviewed on there by John Spencer, um, one of the uh, great urban uh, urban warfare academics uh, in the world. Uh, and so there's an interview with Stuart Lyle on there where he describes that phalanx platoon in, uh, in, in, in great detail. Uh, I, won't, uh, I won't repeat uh, that great podcast now, but that's well worth a, a listen. Okay, so this year we, um, after Wessex Storm 123, our focus then went on to um, the live X. Uh, a lot of people will think that that might have been a live fire exercise, but, um, but it wasn't. Yeah, so it was a live experiment, uh, probably an unoriginal name, but then everyone kind of knew roughly what it was. Uh, That was about upscaling what we'd done on Wessex Storm 123 up to battle group scale uh, with a whole host of robotic systems, uh, but trying to operate uh, and fight in the new ways described under the land operating concept, which had been endorsed by that stage. So fighting by recce strike at all levels, treating survival as a deliberate operation, not as an afterthought, manoeuvring aggressively in the EMS, um, sustaining differently um, in a manner fit for the precision age, power absolutely critical uh, in that. And then finally, the sort of seizing the initiative in the information environment. Uh, And on that final one, we know we've all seen those little snippets of videos from Ukraine of, you know, Russian uh, armoured columns being ambushed but then, you know, getting that little 10, 15 second snapshot of information, getting that loaded up onto social media all helps with the uh, the sort of overall information campaign and that battle for the narratives. So, you know, on LiveX, we pulled all that together. We used two all Yorks with some enablers uh, and, and we did a lot of training on 
or we use what's called training on private land, experimentation on private land in this particular case. So we stretch from sort of Sirencester down to um, south of Marlborough. We did five nights uh, in the middle of Swindon at night, all over the city, flying UAS, assaulting through the old Debenhams building and, and a whole host of other locations and trying to get right. How can you operate more dispersed, take more risk, use these new lethal capabilities you've got and 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 see how they get on. So testing not only equipment but new new ways and structures uh, as well. So uh, it's been a uh, it's been a pretty busy year, and I've uh, you know I'm not going to we, we we've just come off the back of the army warfighting experiment, and um, I won't let you go into detail there because I think uh, we're going to do a feature in episode two um, on um, on AWE, um, which I think was uh, was a successful experiment. To sort of pinpoint what was done on AWE, it's just worth uh, highlighting one thing to get people excited about a future episode was launching munitions or one-way effectors. Um, uh, and we've done a lot of simulation on those over the last year. And we've also been working with the defence regulators. How do you actually get these capabilities into the army safely so that they don't fly off into the Vale of Pusey uh, and cause havoc in devices or wherever that might be? So... You know, was, there was the first firing of a, of a launch ammunition in the UK during that event, but more to follow on that in the future. Yeah. It's exciting development, I think, um, certainly for biogrid lethality. Mm. So just before we we sort of press on and maybe um, hopefully we don't get too uh, too deep into, into doctrine, I, I, I wanted to just describe to our listeners, um, you know, we, we're sitting here, as I said at the start, in... Um, Commander ETG's office, and um, to the backdrop of some very smart photographs, um, as most people do. Um, Colonel Toby is a is, is a, a former Coldstream Guards officer, um, and uh, very very uh, heavily involved with um, with Coldstream Guards and the future of the of the young officers coming Where, through there. Where's this going, Charlie? Well, I just um, I thought I I thought I'd ask. Um, um, a little bit about your role um, uh, with the Colstrom Guards, and um, and certainly, you know, perhaps a little snippet of your time on the uh, on the coronation. So, the the additional role it's it's people focused, which is the most critical thing in in delivering capability. Uh, and some people say, you know, robotic. I'm going to mainly focus this on robotic systems, and I'll come back to this if you want some ceremonial bit. But the how we recruit our people uh, today, whether that's um, you know recruiting young soldiers or, or recruiting young officers, um, a lot of people you know how are people going to get overburdened with the amount of information coming in? How can we get technology to help people? Um, and the great thing I see with the our industry partners that we work with is they're making capability uh, and user devices which are just intuitive to anyone young joining the joining the military today. So if it operates either like an iPhone or like a gaming uh, console, then generally a soldier uh, can use it, which is which is really key. You know, to your to your point though, yeah, quite of a crazy first year in the job in terms of I think we were meant to go to army headquarters for 3 days and do a new uh, get the new team together but a teamwork day, uh, go around all the desks in uh, in army headquarters, speak to all the various leads, um, get around a bit of the field army, um, you know, get the user perspective. Uh, and then, you know, the late Her Majesty the Queen died uh, about three days before, which it was all stop, 
um, you know, get yourself up to London, brush up on your uh, on your drill, get the tunic and the bearskin out, and then of course, you know, roll on whatever it was. Uh, eight months later, it was the coronation. Uh, a huge privilege, uh, amazing privilege to have done all that in my role as regiment lieutenant colonel. Uh, but uh, and and uh, you know, distraction would be the wrong word because that was the main effort at the time. Oh, <laughs> and 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 running the ETG had to come a close <laughs> had to come a close second. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, great, great privilege to be involved in all that. And um, I know there are lots of people in the army who have those dual roles, whether it's running something to do with army sport uh, as well as their day job uh, or a regimental role. Uh, and I think you know we we need to make time for that sometimes. But that's what being in the army is all about: is adding that little bit extra you can in different ways. Thanks for that, Colonel. Uh, it's generally quite interesting hearing some of the. Uh, some of the dits you spend in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, so so sort of back to um, so, to what we're doing, um, and I thought we'd move forward a little bit, I suppose, um, into the future, and you know, talk about uh, firstly a little about the land operating concept. Um, you know, recently published um, an important uh, an important document for many people to read if you haven't uh, to try and understand where where we where we're going and the direction of travel. Perhaps you you might sort of in as fewer words as you can try and sort of summarize a, a bit of the LOPSI and how how relevant it is to the experimentation trials group. What yeah. it means for us. So absolutely essential. I think the army has regained the initiative here um, in perhaps where it's been over the last sort of decade plus that it's got a clear narrative of how we're going to fight. And that's the first thing it's worked out uh, rather than going straight to force structure. So it's worked out how we're going to fight. It's working out the means it needs to fight that way. And then it'll get at structures as the final thing. Most importantly, a concept you know tested uh, rigorously um, using DSTL and others, uh, academia as well, informed uh, not only by the future but actually from from current conflicts to a certain amount uh, as well. And um, you know, I think for, for us in the ETG, it's the absolute north star and handrail for everything we uh, we are doing, whether in in trials or um, or experimentation. I mentioned the um, the sort of big five kind of new sort of points from it, fighting by recce strike, etc., which are absolutely critical. And I think importantly, this isn't going to be an army which goes, right, in 2030 or 2035, the army is going to look like this. Because as we all know, you need to do this iteratively and in small bounds. So the army will do it in bounded years and do it in chunks rather than trying to go, the whole army is going to look like this in the future. But for us, we can try and go, right, okay, that's described that new way of fighting. We don't have the pressures of that, you know, many field army units have with readiness, training for fight tonight. We can, we've got the freedoms to to look into the future. You know, that might be two, three years in the future. It might be five, might be 10, but we can go, right, how do you want to fight? What structures you need? And we can feed that into the army. So as it goes through those two to three year bounds, we've got the information, we've got the evidence to say, yeah, that's right. Or actually that might need steering a little bit, uh, 5% left or right. Uh, These are the kind of capabilities which are absolutely critical to deliver that kind of way of fighting. So for us, it's absolutely essential. Important though, in the the meantime, the field army is trying to make itself better as well. Uh, And it's got Project Lewis to sort of help uh, itself with that. But critically, those two are 
are really becoming well nested uh, together. So I think we'll see how Project Lewis adapts. So it's really laying the foundations for the land operating concept in the future. And that's no different to what you know, the ally, our allies have done in the past, sometimes you have to learn to fight differently before you have all the capability available to you. You know, the US did that with airland battle before they got the big five, uh, Patriot, Abrams, Patriot, etc. Um, and, you know, and the Germans learned to fight Blitzkrieg before they um, had all their capabilities they had that came with that. So it's really exciting. I think the army has um, got a clear vision of where it's going in the future. And, and we really want to play a, a role in, um, you know, accelerating that modernization in the ETG. Um, okay, so what's next? Um, we've got loads in our program. Um, do you want to highlight some of the things that we've got? Uh, yeah, so we're going to we're gonna consolidate uh, much of our workforce in the, probably more around the sort of centralised around Warminster. We'll still have some of the trials and development units out there, but two Royal Yorks will move south to Warminster next year. I have, I've lost a commanding officer. I haven't actually lost him, but uh, we've lost, uh, we've lost uh, the PID for one. So we're going to, we're going to create what will be called the Army Trials Unit is the, is the aspiration. And those various sort of pillars, armoured, infantry, uh, et cetera, will still exist underneath but they will have a single commanding officer sitting over the top and we'll have two Royal Yorks down here as well. So I think that will 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 just help with communication, how we work together. And then we've got some big events coming up in 2024, which are, which are really exciting. The big one for me is, is probably Project Convergence, uh, Capstone 4, which uh, consumes a lot of my time at the moment uh, getting prepared. Well, you're for... the project officer, Charlie, yeah. so let's hope so. <laughs> I've got to deliver. Um <laughs> You know, that'll see the uh, two Royal Yorks battle group augmented by by other parts of the army, um, you know, largely 16 brigade um, with some engineers, 3-4 uh, battery joining them as well. So um, that, that, that that's going to be one of the biggest experiments, I think, that's that's ever happened and involves our Five Eyes partners as well as, um, as well, I think the Japanese are going to be out there as well. So um, that could be really interesting with... Probably the the biggest focus being on the networks, how we get yeah. from sensor decided to effector in the Absolutely. most efficient way. So you can have as many robotic systems, you know, UAS, remote ground sensors, robotic vehicles as you like, and they can be linked to a whole range of effectors. Whether that's a, you know, something as simple as a one hundred five light gun, or um, you know, a eighty one mortar, or a, or something like more of a deep effector. But unless you've got that network to pass that data. In particular, in an urban urban environment where you're going to be fighting much closer to perhaps another nation who could just be on the other side of a street, but you've got to get that information. If if you have, um, you know, if the armored column goes left rather than right and doesn't come into your killing area and it goes into theirs, how do you pass that information at the you know the speed of relevance so they can immediately uh, conduct uh, an effect against that uh, adversary capability coming in there? So you know interoperability, sharing information at space, situational awareness of about where everybody is, um, is absolutely critical. The key part of Project Convergence, yeah. data sharing at pace with a whole range of sensors, deciders and effectors. Okay. And actually though, on top of that, I mentioned, I linked and mentioned it a little bit earlier, sustaining a force um, and the power management for all those robotic systems uh, is the area where we need a breakthrough. Um, and, uh, you know, you will never have all your UAS flying the whole time. 
So you need reversionary modes or you need to work out when you when you mass them for effect at a certain time and point. Um, and that's, you know, the, the, the power estimate is almost the first thing you have to do yeah, uh, in the planning process. Yeah. 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 Um, but we've got some, uh, you know, RETD looking at, uh, looking at energy. Um, that, that should be quite useful. And we're also working with um, the sustainment, uh, you know, line of effort in, um, on converters as well, looking at, so we're taking out the deployed autonomous stores. So, uh, you know, a new piece of equipment, so like an ISO, you can walk in, take what you need and walk out and, and the autonomy within then... Um, a bit like know, Tesco. Then records it. Yeah, exactly. You know, Tesco <laughs> or the new uh, Amazon stores and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 all really interesting stuff to come next year. Um, I think uh, I think to, to close out, um, a sort of final question, if I may, Colonel, mm. is just to ask what your favorite thing is of the bit of kit that you've seen um, in the last year and a half, um, whether that be on Army Warfighter Experiment or on I'll, a, I'll on give, I'll give I'll give two. So a high Go tech and a, and, a, and a low tech. So the low tech would be Steed, yep. uh, which is basically an electronic trolley, which allows one person to move a casualty up and down stairs through difficult terrain. Um, you know, just one person out of the fight to move that casualty rather than a whole fire team uh, being committed. So that's something we've experimented with previously, uh, and where and we are hoping to take on Project Convergence. But it's the it's the one way effectors, the launching munitions, is the areas we rapidly need to get into uh, in the British Army, uh, and and we are doing so. And whether it will look like that scene on Vigil uh, last night, uh, <laughs> hopefully not uh, not um, uh, as catastrophic as that. But I think very quickly we will see an army with a whole range of networked. Uh, drones armed with a whole range of different capabilities that we saw on vigil last night, which can be operated remotely beyond visual line of sight, which can do everything from, you know, carry anti-tank missiles, um, you know, machine guns, um, carry ammunition forward, bring casualties back in a pod underneath in swarms. That is where we could get to very, very quickly. Yeah. Really interesting. Thank you, Colonel. I think, uh, you know, there's another sort of factor that I think going to be a game changer and that's um, how AI fits into all of it. And um, I'll be really interested to see how we start doing, uh, you know, using AI to do target recognition and things like that. Mutual trust and understanding mission command with robots. Yeah. What's that going to look like? Well, to discuss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and what, and what do the robots look like? And uh, exactly. So um, there's lots, lots going on and, um, I think some exciting times to be uh, anywhere near the experimentation trials group. So please uh, stay connected, keep up to date. Um, but that's uh, that's us for today. Thanks very much. A big thank you to Colonel Toby Till for um, opening up the experimentation podcast um, on behalf of the experimentation trials group. Um, I think it's been a good uh, opening episode and I hope people will come back and join us um, for future episodes. Thank you a lot, Colonel. Thanks, Charlie. Great to be involved. Thank you for joining us on the Army Experimentation Podcast. We will be back next month with more. So please subscribe and join the conversation using hashtag ETGPod. See you in the future.